Welcome to Entremosity with FP Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, your host. If you're in the wrong place, stay. Have a good time. Grab a beer. It's all good. It's Friday night. We've got another great show and a guest I'm excited to share with you. But clearly, the news out there is crazy right now. And, and look, I don't know if you saw the show a couple weeks ago. We were joking with Christopher Titus, the comedian, that trying to write a script, shoot a show, and get it up before the news overwhelms you is virtually impossible. You're not shooting live. And I think... I've actually had live events go awry when the news come out. I was on a Zoom when Trump got indicted, for God's sake. <laughs> Having said that, you know, a lot of people are saying that, I mean, obviously the biggest news is about the indictment and, of course, the arraignment this week. Uh, there's a lot going on there. But a lot of folks, a lot of professionals with air quotes I'm doing, uh, if those listening at home, are saying this indictment actually strengthens his support in the Republican Party and the general election. Now, we can agree to disagree in that assessment. We're starting to get some surveys and some polls that give windows in these things. This weekend saw the first trickling of clues. And as always, what you see depends on where you sit, right? So CBS News YouGov poll taken just at the indictment shows that while the overwhelming majority of Americans see a national security risk with the information that's available in that indictment and the documents that Trump was leaving unsecured and stashing, likely Republican voters see politics. 76% of likely GOP voters say the indictment is politically motivated and just 12% think the documents he kept in his ugly ass club bathroom were a national security risk. I mean, but this is where it gets interesting for me. And this is a great poll. And I'll, I'll link uh, I'll link to this article on our Substack. But it, when asked if it was a national security risk of Trump keeping nuclear and military doc documents, 38% of likely Republican voters said yes, where a whopping 80% of the rest of the country, like us normies, said it absolutely was, right? Which is a hell of a split, okay? So only 38% is a number for the Republicans too. Now, Trump is currently polling at 61% among likely Republican primary voters, with DeSantis trailing at an anorex at 23%. Though he remains in contention. There's others, well, there, there's like six different questions in this poll, and I'll send you the article, but uh, it's really very interesting. But this is very little change, okay? Since the opening days of the campaign, uh, I, I think we did a bit on Maya's touch about how DeSantis's number actually took a a fall. I mean, it's pretty amazing to launch a presidential campaign and do so badly your numbers went down. But that's Ron DeSantis. The better you get to know him, the less you like him. So, and having said all that, you know, it does not necessarily make him a stronger candidate, but it hasn't hurt him that much of this base. But once again, is his base big enough? And uh, I'm not convinced they are, right? I mean, look, as we've said before here, um, we peeled off the, the coalition that opposed Donald Trump in 2020, peeled off 4 to 6% of, of, of Republican voters that voted for him the first time, the normie Republicans. I just don't see them coming back to a guy with 70 plus federal charges against him, or criminal charges. Anyway... Fascinating day, as always, to start the show off. But man, have I got a great guest talking about bigger things. Again, this show is called On Democracy. And uh, this guest is one I've had on, want to have on for a while because On Democracy is his damn thing. So without that, we've talked a lot. Let's get on with the show. Matt, throw the music. All right. Good music, good rock. I love the energy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is On to Moxie with me, F.P. Wellman. I was looking at old clips, and you know what? It appears I start every show off saying how excited I am for this week's show. And I am. Matt, don't be nodding back there. I see you. Matt's nodding. <laughs> I do. I say I'm excited every week. Don't criticize. But I do, because I have great guests every week. I do this show to talk to cool people. I got cool people. And by the way, Matt, I don't know if you know this, today, this week, is our second month 
on the Myest Touch Network. Mark's two months. This is our, our eighth show. I don't keep track anymore, but we've been on the Myest Touch Network for, eight, uh, for two months now. Well over seven million views of all of our. My God, it's I love this community. I love being a part of the Myest Touch Network. My friends, the brothers. Anyway, it's it is exciting. So with that, I got a great guest. So David Pepper is a lawyer, accomplished author, political activist, former elected official. He teaches election law and voting rights. Served as the chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party between 2015 and 2021. I love this bit, though, David. During law school, he was named most likely to be president of the Cincinnati Board of Tourism. <laughs> and where, by the way, he actually ended up serving their city council. Obviously, they got you right on that one. But really, we're here today because his acclaimed books, Laboratories of Autocracy, and his new one, which we'll throw on the screen, Saving Democracy, a User's Manual, detail the risk of anti-democratic state houses posed to our democracy. Now, you've probably seen his popular whiteboard talks on, uh, on social media, on, on Twitter. Yeah, he explains the machinations of those who pose democracy and how we can push back. And if you haven't, you just really need to. And we'll put out his Twitter handle at the end here. I the honor to work them on a really cool product i'm sure you'll hear about later in the show with that david man brother welcome to the show it's so good to have you here man thank you it's great to be with you congrats on your uh your anniversary here a couple months in at least yeah it's going great no no surprise but uh, i love the audience too and it's it's, I'm so glad you're part of it. Me too. I tell you that we. I just love. I, I worked with the brothers during the campaign, and uh, we did their podcast. They did mine. We hung out a lot, and and I just I love the community they've built. So it's just it's just such a privilege to be part of the Myers Touch yeah. Network. You'll you'll see. I I joke on the show a lot that I'm sure the you know you can actually read the comments on this show. It's <laughs> you awesome. know. So make sure you do. And folks, remember to comment and say hi. We I I am reading them. I'm I'm you know. Got crushing self-esteem issues. I read your comments. <laughs> you know. Hey, having said that, now I just just as we we're getting ready to tape, you did a note. I, I caught one more of your new whiteboard videos, and you talk about. Well, actually, it goes right to what I talked to at the top of the show, David. It talks yeah. about the prosecution of Trump and the insane GOP primary. And it's going to take a lot of our attention, right? It's going to take a lot of our right. time. But that's not the fight, is it? I mean, you, you make a pretty good point. What's your take on that? My take is that these things are really important. Yeah. We need Trump to be held accountable for breaking the law. Yeah. Uh, you know, the primary is going to be what it is in the GOP side, but the, the trap of this very high voltage coverage of all that is that we all sit around and watch it. And we think that's where democracy is being determined. And if you go back to my original book, laboratories of photography, the new one, the truth is the frontline attack on democracy is not the GOP primary. And it's not the prosecution of Trump. Right. It's that gerrymandered state house all over this country that is attacking voting rights, gerrymandering, passing extremist bills. And that's the bad news. Right. The good news is because it's in those state houses and not in some swing state somewhere or not in D.C. And it's not only Jack Smith's DOJ where you can't do anything anyway, where it's being attacked. There are also numerous opportunities for every single listener, every single viewer to make a difference fighting back. So rather than just watching the things that we have little we can do about that have less in the end role in shaping democracy, look at where democracy is truly being undermined and know that there's actually work you can be doing right now all the way through the next year to fight back. If we do that work well, not only could maybe Trump be in the end charged and sentenced, and not only do we have some primary happen, but we also save democracy in the process. If we sit back and watch these other things and don't engage where the front line of democracy is, we lose. To put it differently, do you think Steve Bannon is stopping his work to watch the Trump trial? No. 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 Do you think he's stopping ele recruiting election deniers to be election observers 
while the GOP primary plays out? Of course not. Just like the Ohio Republicans aren't stopping their attack on the Ohio Constitution. If they're not stopping because that's their front line, we can't stop either. And that's so that whiteboard walks through that reality. And then this book we're going to talk about tells you all the things you could actually be doing right now, all the time to lift democracy wherever you happen to live in America or overseas for that matter. I love it. And that's that's something we talk about a lot in the show. And and of course, the, and our, our audience talks a lot about is what can I do? You know, put me in coach. You know, where can I do that? And what, and what you just described is all local things. It's it's not happening in Washington. It's not happening. It's happening in Ohio. I mean, in Ohio, like you said, it's it's an what's an election in August, right? That they're trying to trying yeah. to peel back the, the 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 number of people it takes to pass a constitutional amendment. To you know, it's it's remarkable the work they're trying to do to try and sneak them in. Just like we just saw in Kansas, what was a year ago, where they tried to sneak through the abortion amendment by putting it on the ballot during the primary. Right. in the summer you know that's what these yeah, clever things crazy. they do so we do have to be on guard all the time and that yeah. does take us to the book you wrote you know the new book saving democracy users manual you got what what drove you to that and tell us tell us more, tell us more about what we can find in your book sure so the, the, what drove me to it was i wrote a first book and, and i was really excited that when the first interviews i did was with the Mice brothers uh, ah. uh the whole network and it really it really was a shot in the arm yeah uh, they gave me you guys gave me a great introduction but that book was basically saying don't just watch, like we just said, don't just watch Marjorie Taylor Greene or George Santos or Trump. There are hundreds of people just like them that we never have heard of in your state house or another state house. Normally, they don't even face opposition come re-election time. And they're the ones destroying democracy far more than whatever Marjorie Taylor Greene says tomorrow on Twitter or whatever. Right. And that that's their front line. And that's where they've been on offense, where we haven't even playing defense for too long. We literally are letting it happen while we focus on a few swing states in a federal election year. And so the point of that book was to say they are operating as a laboratories of autocracy. That's where the attack is. Let's engage there. Now, people like the book. I was excited to, to get good feedback. But like you, I read all the comments, okay? <laughs> and I curse. started to get emails from people saying, oh, my God. Because the first book goes through in great, painful detail how bad it is on the ground in the state like Ohio, how painful the corruption looks, how the results are so bad in these gerrymandered hijacked states. People would say to me, David, I love the book, but it was so painful to read. I had to keep skipping to the end (laughs) to understand what I could do about it because I'm so frustrated about what you're describing. So basically that compelled me to write a book that skips to the end. (laughs) So this book basically say, okay, if you want to read all the dark reality of what's happening in these gerrymandered, uh, unaccountable extremist state houses where their front line, the Koch brothers' front line, attack democracy exists. There's a great book. It's called Laboratories of Autocracy. <laughs> but once you understand that reality, and we better understand it because it's why we're losing, yeah. once you understand that reality, then here's every specific thing you can do to fight back. And what what, what I've observed since I wrote the second book is that narrative that we have told ourselves that everything's about a, a certain number of swing federal elections, mo- mainly senator, it's disempowering to the average person because they don't live in one of those places. Right. They are in a blue state where everything's, you know, they're going to win or they're in a red state where they're going to lose. And so they think, well, I am I hope John Fetterman wins or I hope Warnock wins, but I'm stuck. I can't do anything about it. So it's this very, it's not only a false narrative because democracy is under attack everywhere. It's a disempowering narrative because it makes people think there's nothing they can do. 
once you realize that the battle for democracy is in Tennessee in those uncontested races, it's at your school board where they want to ban books. It's, you know, it's in the Ohio where they want to disenfranchise voters. Yep. The good news from that bad news is there's so much you can do right. wherever you are. Right. And I walk through the book, you know, case studies, organizations, individuals just like you who decided to step up and run in a race that had never been contested in years, for example. And I start to show the difference that people doing these things can make. And it's not all that different from what anyone listening to, uh, to this could be doing as well. And my guess is a lot of them already are, but whether it's taking on book banning and censorship or making sure we're re-engaging voters that have been disenfranchised wherever we live, or making sure that if you're in a red state that's had dozens of uncontested races for too long, which fuels extremism, we all decide no more. We're not going to do that anymore. Or it's start investing your money that you spend into nonprofits and businesses that are lifting democracy. No more spending money with people that are sinking democracy. Figure out who they are, spend accordingly. So it goes through all these, it's it's trying to be a user's manual, hopefully kind of like your show, a little spicy to read so you'll get through it. But in the end, this is saying to anyone, if you care about this stuff, don't just watch and listen in frustration. Also, use your energy to lift democracy, and there's so much we could all do, frankly, far more than any of us are doing now. And it's not that hard either. A lot of it is just incorporating a pro-democracy mindset into things we already do every day, but just add democracy to what those things are. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And, and, and that's exactly because I get the same questions, right, all the time. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I give examples. We were here in Missouri where we had recent school board races. Uh, the, the, the Moms for Liberty folks were pushing pretty hard. They had their slate of candidates. And we came up with, the, with our, their opponents. I was really proud of them. And local, the local groups came together and created their own slate of candidates, you know, because these were right. all open seats. You, you know, 12 people run, top three win. And they actually ran a slate of, of actual real parents, first of all. I love that part. And, right. and, and the people who aren't book banners and aren't going to get involved in curriculum. And I was real proud to see here in West St. Louis County that that, that slate of three won and defeated the Moss Liberty candidates and everybody else. So yeah. there really is – there is hope. It's happening signs. all over. Right. The, the book banning is really unpopular. Right. And if you run hard against it or, or at, the, at the decision point of that school board, if you're the ones who show up to that meeting – and say 70% of us in this community do not want the angry parent down the street telling our kids what they cannot read. That's not for them to decide. Normally the crowd showing up for sort of a freedom to learn type of frame are winning the arguments, whether it be school board races or school board meetings. Yeah. But just a great example of how you can, the activity of doing it is important either way, but you can very often win that battle. Yeah, just by being present. Um, yeah. You know, I stumbled on this years ago when I first got involved in local politics back in, gosh, Peachtree City, Georgia, which I shouldn't say that way because it's a very snooty town. And in Peachtree City, I started going to city council meetings and I learned. I was like, holy cow, there's a lot going on. I had to run for city council and the mayor uh, until they threw a war. <laughs> and, you know, that's the same thing. You get involved and it's very, it's, oh, okay, now I see the system, how it works, how much it has an impact on your life. They're, they're just people, I just can't imagine how many people don't realize how impactful your school boards and your city councils really are on your day-to-day life, much yeah. more so than Congress. That's the funny part, as much energy we expand on Congress, yeah. it's your life is controlled locally by those guys, right? The taxes you pay more often yeah. than not has nothing to do with any of those people. It has to do with your local school boards. And uh, the same things with state house. So yeah. those are districts. They rarely hear from people. Yeah. So when you do show up, you actually get noticed. Right. Unlike Congress, where you're just a number on a spreadsheet. Yeah. If you make that call, there are two staff members in that state house office. 
And they're, they're picking up the phone and they're going to listen to what you say. So think of that as local as well. Most of these districts like in Missouri are quite small. Oh yeah. Missouri um, has one of the largest legislatures in the country. Yeah. Right? You, you guys yeah. are huge. I think it's like but that also means your voice matters there. Right. And, and right. what do, what do the Koch brothers, why have they taken advantage of state houses for years? Cause they've sensed that no one's paying attention there. Yeah. And no one really makes no one stands up to nonsense there. So they become the perfect places to run through extremist stuff. Well, if we all start paying attention and making noise in these places, all of a sudden it's a lot, much less easy place for legislators to pass crazy stuff. So all that activity, whether you're running, encouraging others to run or simply advocating yeah. all that makes a difference to what is a model of governing right now that they are dominating because they're in all these places that we haven't been for too long. Well, presence matters. We learned that in combat, right? I mean, I learned that as a yeah. soldier, that that's why we did presence patrols. That's why we we make sure we went out. We got our soldiers out of our mm-hmm. vehicles and walked on the street. Being present matters, right? And being present at a school board meeting, being present at your state legislature, testifying, calling, writing, it does matter. Like you said, I think I think a Missouri State Del- uh, District is 30,000 people. It's, it's barely yeah. a town, right? So you can really make yeah. a huge impact and have your voice heard. It's really, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the longtime listeners and the viewers of the show know I'm obsessed with uncontested and undercontested races. You know, last cycle, nationally, there were 23 unopposed Republican congressional candidates, shocking 126 Democratic opponents never raised enough money to even put up a competitive fight. It's it's scientific research says about $200,000 to run a congressional race. Um, 149 races basically were uncontested. Now, you've been in this fight at the state level for years. I know you're with Blue Ohio and all. You know, talk to me by why can you expand on why contesting these races matters? Like why, why does it matter that they're uncontested and what's the yeah. impact of that? So it's, it's truly a crisis that, that gerrymandering is terrible. So I want to, I want to make that clear to start. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's one reason people aren't running. They think, well, it's so gerrymandered. Why bother? Not running is far worse than simply gerrymandering. Uh, think about it for a second. One, you never know where you're going to win unless you're on the ballot. Right. And so look at Kansas in last August. Right. These state houses have gotten so extreme. They actually are defending things that are very unpopular in their own states. Yeah. Sometimes they're also enmeshed in corruption yeah. um, and other problems. Sometimes their outcomes are terrible, like four days of school a week, yeah. which is happening in a lot of states. Yep. Well, if you don't run, you, you deprive yourself of the opportunity to win because and their records are reaching a point where you could actually beat some of these people. But let's remove the chance of winning for a second, because obviously that's the ultimate goal in, in, in these races. Yeah, Running and losing is so much more important than not running at all. Mm. Because think about these places, and, and I'll go through the numbers. You know, yeah. 50% of those Tennessee Republicans who kicked out those two state reps, the two Justins, did not have an opponent last November. Fifty percent. Wow. The author of the of the abortion bans in Mississippi that led to Dobbs, Texas that led to that crazy law where you could start suing people. Ohio that that led to that Indiana that that ten year old rape victim having to go to Indiana. Those three, none of them faced an opponent in their next election. Wow. They turned the country upside down with their toxic laws, but in their own district, they don't even get challenged. Wow. Um, you start to add all that up, and that is why the extremism is so bad. Yeah. If you and you know this from your own politics, if you if you don't face a, an election in the general at all in Texas, they literally call it canceled. If your election is canceled, then every incentive in your 
path in politics is to be an extremist. Yeah. Because you only worry about a primary. You never worry about accountability, a general election, which means you never worry about a threat from the middle. You only worry about threat from the far right. And so basically by not running, we are incentivizing extremism and we're taking away any incentive these people feel to actually be more reasonable. For example, those 50% of Republicans in Tennessee to, to vote to keep the two Justins would have been a risk for them because that's how they worry about a primary, right? right? Oh, you voted with Democrats to keep them. We don't like you. You're a rhino. You're gone. So they're rewarded in their political system by being extremists and voting like that. And if we start running against people, again, even in tough races, we start to bend the curve the other way that there's accountability they face more from the middle than just from one side. The other thing is it's not only accountability. It's also basic transparency. The crisis of, of, of our state houses, the reason the Koch brothers and Alec, that one national organization, love state houses is no one knows what, what these places do. Right. They can't even name their state rep. Well, what's the one moment in time where people focus on a body of government? An election. Right. If you're not even knocking on doors or sending a flyer or going to the forum or the debate to discuss that crazy incumbent's views and agenda and, and legislative record, no one's ever going to hear about it. Right. And so that's why we have an entire world. And let me, here's how bad the numbers are. More than half of the Oklahoma Republican reps, no opponent last election. In many states like Texas and Georgia, I think it's 30 to 40%. Tennessee, over 50. Um, you add it up. We're talking about tens and tens of millions of voters last November who showed up to vote at the level of politics that determines our democracy, state houses, more than Congress. Yeah. No choice whatsoever. That also means tens of millions of people who didn't even have a conversation in their community about what a state house even does. Right. And so when you project that out over a long game, as opposed to just a cycle by cycle game, you realize why the extremism is getting so much worse. We've yeah. abandoned millions of uh, Americans all over this country to one side ruling and the so that side only faces an incentive to be more of an extremist. And that's why I would say running to win is great, but we all, you and I, and this infrastructure we have to build, yeah. we have to start reframing running in a world where democracy is under attack in a world where, you know, uh, uh, extremism is exploding running itself is public service yeah. standing up and knocking on doors and saying, here's what your crazy neighbor, the state rep has been doing. You didn't know it, but now you do. That is part of getting some accountability and normalcy back into politics that in too many places just doesn't have it. And that's why it's such an important thing to no longer accept as business as usual, leaving so many uncontested races that's fueling the extremism running everywhere starts bending it back the other way. And I think we do it ourselves. I mean, I think I, 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 when I say I'm Democrats or who, those who oppose this, we pick the flippable, winnable races, right? So it's always about the flippable, winnable. And I, I've already seen people declare this this election, well, there's 18 races, that's it. Just put your mind on those 18 races. Like, holy shit, there's millions of Americans who are just being ignored and, and they hear you already. We're, we're sending a loud and clear, when we declare that only a couple of races matter, we're telling millions of Americans, you don't. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's and, the message, isn't it? And the other party is right there. The They're other party to, is ta talking right. to them. They're at the local, you know, we uh, county fair with the booth. And so, yeah, it reinforces it. Now, again, is it easy to run in these places? No, 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 no it's terrible. I, I'm not. And that's why 
when we have people who do, rather than looking the other way because they're not somehow going to flip a state blue next year, right? rather than looking the other way, we should say to them, my God, thank you for running. You're a champion. You're a hero. You're stepping up in a tough place, and we surround you with support because of it. Now, you're not going to get as much as a U.S. Senate candidate, but we're going to show you enough respect and gratitude and, and respect what you're doing enough to, to show that we value what you're doing. Right now, we are sending a message in too many places that we simply don't value people running at all. And, and by the way, you've probably seen this. Yeah, oh, what a great point. At the end of a race where for six months you were reminded every day that your race in that seat was not valued, you will not run again. And if your friend in the district says, hey, I'm thinking about running, should I? You'll say, hell no, they don't care. You'll get no support, why run? And that's why we have all these uncontested races everywhere. People think, well, they don't care if I run. There's no value uh, based, but no one sees a value in it. Why would I ever do that to myself? We have to build, and you. this is Blue Ohio, the things that we're trying to build together down the road. We need to build an infrastructure that says to everyone, oh, we do value running everywhere. We value it so much. We thank you. We support you. And even if you don't win, we keep thanking you. And if you were good at it, we want you to do it again. Yep. Uh, we have to change that. And the reason we don't value it right now is because everything in our life is about a few high profile celebrity races for a few swing seats. Yeah. And we want to win those seats, but it, but that's not everything. In fact, if the attack on democracy is grounded in state houses, you can win those swing, swing seats for the federal level and still lose a battle for democracy, which is what's happening. So we have to say, well, it's no longer acceptable to allow all these seats to just go uncontested. That is not business as usual. We can't let it be that. And that means we have to make an adjustment in how we frame these races, how we support them, so that all of a sudden we're on offense, running everywhere, on message. And you'll know this from Missouri. The good news is not only are the people that we've been running against defending records of being total extremists, often out of touch with their own districts, for the most part, these state houses, and I know you're living this here in Missouri, like I'm in Ohio, yep. the results of these places are terrible. Yeah. You know, I don't care the you know, whether it's student debt that's being built up on the backs of these young people, yep. public schools cratering, no infrastructure, small towns dying on their watch, they cannot defend their records. But if we don't run against them, we can't ever point that out. I, if I was in a rural district, I would spend half my time talking about the fact that the rural schools, the center of these communities are falling apart. A lot of these towns are dying. It's not because of a caravan from Mexico. It's because of, of your corrupted state house. Yep. And run really hard on that. And you may or may not win, but you'll start to get some people listening if you're connecting it back to the issues that are frustrating your, your neighbors and friends. And those issues in almost every state that they have hijacked through this intense gerrymandering. Yeah. Almost every state, I will show you results that they cannot defend. You know, we had John Nichols on the show uh, a couple weeks ago from uh, from Wisconsin, and he talked about uh, uh, the, the Supreme Court race there and what, 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 
with the judge, Jan Patiziak did very well was she uh, ran ads on rural radio on the, on the hit, you know, because, totally. you know, that you, you know, from, I know Ohio is the same way as Missouri, that rural radio matters still. And she ran It's ads. a great buy, she too. Ran, I, it's a cheap you, buy. You a lot yeah. of money. You can blitz <laughs> the play. Know. I love you rural radio. It. Yeah. So, you know, but tell them, hey, look, you know, it, it isn't the four kids who play sports. It is not the four transgender kids in the history of our state that are playing sports that's destroying this country. It's a state. It is the fact that our downtowns go downtown right now. What do you see in downtown? Fill in the blank. Nothing. Because that's what we've gotten from our state house. I mean, you can make the case very. And by the way, in some places, you don't have school on Fridays anymore. Right. Because they, they what can't do you do with that? Or you're paying 500 bucks for Joey to play football when yeah. you didn't four years ago because they defunded everything. Yeah. So so there are real issues. And the, what's so good about those issues by the way, why do we have a Democratic governor of Kansas? She ran only on schools for a year. She won. She's now in her second term. Yep. Back in, I don't care where you are, but especially in rural parts of this country, that school is the center of the entire community. And if that school disintegrates, the center of that community disintegrates with it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are really potent issues that, that people around their kitchen tables are talking about. The Republicans know it. Yeah. They're still doing it because some private player is paying to do that up in up in their state house. Yeah. But you can go right in there and grab those voters if you're talking about it the right way, because you'll be ha- you'll be you'll be tapping into their frustrations about the fact that they got to figure out what to do every Friday because they don't have school anymore that, that obviously has their kids occupied. Yeah, that's a great. I think it's a great place to pause. We got some incredible sponsors of the show this week, so we'll let them uh, say hi for a minute. As you know, I have a big family, and that means there's usually a lot of garbage left over by the end of the week. And frankly, I used to feel really guilty about it, but then I got a Lomi. Now that I have a Lomi, it's changed the way I think about my food waste. Lomi transforms my garbage into gold, the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electronic composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. Now I love composting. (laughs) Plus, it's made cooking at home even more fun. There's no food wrong in my garbage smelling up the kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash like once a week, and it's hassle-free. Mess-free. No more leaking bags. So here's something cool, too. I turn my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants, my lawn, and my big garden in my backyard. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane gas. I get to help the environment, and that makes my life easier. All my food scraps, plant clippings, and even those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge go back into my garden, help me grow more nutritious food right in my backyard. I learned recently that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. So by reducing the amount of food I send to the landfill, I'm helping to do my part for the planet while also feeding my garden. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden like mine, Lomi is perfect for you. So head to Lomi.com Fred and use the promo code Fred to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I.com slash Fred and use promo code Fred at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode of the show. Do you know your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold like I do often, I really recommend you try out Miracle Made Sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and made temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep the perfect temperature all night long. Now, that silver-infused fabric means that Miracle Made Sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. So you get a better night's sleep. And I can tell you, honestly, I have. Now, the silver fusion technology also adds 
an extra benefit. It means the sheets prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than normal sheets. There's no more gross odors from your sheets. You don't have to worry about any problems with bacteria. They just last longer. Now, I've been sleeping with these sheets, and they're seriously comfortable without a high price tag of other luxury brands. And they feel as nice, if not nicer, than the bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. <laughs> bacteria clogs your pores, causes breakouts and acne, a whole bunch of problems. Sleep better, sleep clean with Miracle. Now, go try Miracle.com slash Fred. That's go to TryMiracle.com slash Fred to try Miracle Made Sheets today. Whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use that promo code FRED at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle Made is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Now, upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to TryMiracle.com slash FRED and use the code FRED to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Fred. Treat yourself. I love the products. I've been using them myself and sleeping like a baby. So one of the things you and I both agree on, I think, David, is that in the end, the problem isn't necessarily flipping Republicans or supposed independents, right? It's disengaged voters, right? It's people who are eligible to vote but have simply dropped out of the process or never joined, right? That, how do we get them in the fight on our side? How do we, how do we engage Americans. I mean, it, it, it's, I know it's a big part of your book and your, and your life, you know, yeah. so talk to me about disengaged voters. I'll just give an example. More than half, uh, J.D. Vance won Ohio with 25% of the vote. Jesus. You know, more than half of the people didn't vote and he beat Tim Ryan by a little bit. That shows you the massive opportunity if we re-engage voters. Yeah. How do you not, how do you, if someone has decided that voting doesn't matter to them, or if they've seen Ron DeSantis arrest voters who are doing something wrong, so they worry. Let's say they served in a time in jail for a couple of years. They've been out for 10 years, but they don't know the rules. So they hear about a voter ID. They see the Ron DeSantis. They're, they're worried that um, if they vote, they may get in trouble if they've done something wrong. So they don't vote. Or if they decide that, well, I was excited about Obama. No one's ever excited me since. Or they've been suppressed, whatever it is. The way you don't get them back engaged is to frantically knock on the door with one week to go saying, don't forget to vote, which is kind of what we do. Right. It, this is, as Stacey Abrams said, these are people that it's a persuasion message. It's not persuade you to be a Democrat. It's persuading you that voting actually is something you should do. Right. And if you haven't done that in a while, that's not just the transactional nature of a frantic knock on the door with a reminder to vote. And that's where I, I go through. And the more, I, when you write a book, you kind of are always thinking through the arguments. I was much more convinced of this late in the book than I was when I first started it. Mm. We had to figure out not just the time frame that these voters need to be engaged all the time from early on, not as a last minute right. desperate plea that it feels right. to, it's only a reinforcement to them that politics is terrible. If they only hear from you with three days to go, it's like, well, you didn't care about me until you were desperate for a vote. Why, why should I care? This is why I think not only is it that we should always be worried about engaging voters, but often it's who is doing that engagement. Mm. And so every one of your listeners, I would say to them, the best place to engage the voters of your community, maybe the food bank that serves some food yeah. every week 
Or maybe for some, it will be the homeless shelter that's giving them, you know, a a shelter over their over their head temporarily and says to them, oh, by the way, are you registered to vote? Most of them probably aren't or a rec center that their kids go to. And so one thing I'd say to people listening, uh, 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 whether you're a mayor or a volunteer at a food bank or whatever, think about any institution that is serving people that we know have been disengaged and figure out, and the answer will almost always be yes. So not can they use their footprint of serving these people to re-engage them, but how can they? So a health clinic, and there are a lot, you know, a public health clinic serving low income folks, add to your intake form after everything else, are you registered to vote? Hmm. Part of helping them health-wise is to get them into our democracy, right? So I I think that we have to rethink, of course, knock on the door late. But that's not going to do it for most folks. If other organizations have been engaging those people throughout, so they're now registered, someone they trusted engaged them, then that that knock on the door may be a useful reminder to vote. But someone else also got them back in the game. The other place I'd say this is, one other way to do this besides nonprofits, community-based organizations, the biggest underutilized uh, tool in Democratic Party politics are precinct-level organizing. Right. In, in Ohio, we call them precincts, other places are districts. It's the person that's in charge of a precinct of 500 people. What I put in the book is, if everyone owned their precinct and thought myself, hey, every voter in my precinct I am going to connect with. I am going to set up a structure, whether it's every street has a captain, every apartment building has a captain, and we're going to engage those voters the entire two years, let's say, in between the even-year races. Again, so that the knock on the door at the end is the last of many, many conversations. It's a reminder. As opposed to what it is now, which is the only conversation. So whether it's that you decide you're going to own that precinct you live in, and help organize it, or you're going to own the apartment building you live in and make sure everyone in the apartment building is registered. We're just not doing that work right now. And here's another, and you'll know this at the end of a campaign, when you're knocking on doors, you often will look down your list and you'll see a huge building and you'll see, well, they're not on my list because we're skipping over anyone, but the most regular voters we have. And those are the ones who are disengaged and we reaffirm the disengagement when we not walk past that door. So the book goes through all these ways that all of us, by being a little creative, but usually using footprints that we already have, like we're on the board of that homeless shelter or we're a volunteer food bank, use that footprint you already have in life to figure out how all these institutions could engage. One other area where this is a huge opportunity. Every Democratic mayor of a city in this country should be doing everything I just described. Every public-facing part of a city hall, rec centers, health clinics, libraries, should be engaging every resident who comes through those doors. These are the very people being purged by these state houses. So if you're the mayor, you should be pissed about that because they're attacking your citizens and you have every right to use your public footprint to get these people re-engaged, whether it's getting them on an early vote sheet so they get the early vote ballot, whether it's showing them how to get a voter ID they now need, they never needed before, or whether it's registering. And so if you know a mayor or a council member, ask them the next time you see them, are you registering voters at city hall and at rec centers and health clinics? And if you're not, why not? Cause we got to get started on that. So there's so many ways yeah. to engage voters. And most of the time you'll see that we just don't do this work. So they attack our voters 24 seven 
And we much too rarely are fighting back on behalf of voters in all the ways that we could. And let's talk about that. That's a great place to segue into talking about those attacks and our defense of them. You know, reports came out this weekend that the DNC and the Biden White House have actually specifically told elected members of the party not to comment about the indictment of Donald Trump and other issues. You know, one of my constant frustrations that I mentioned on the show, especially with the Democratic Party and the apparatus, if you will, is their dismissal of what they derisively seem to call culture war issues, right? You yeah. and I both live in red states and, and see the damage these attacks are causing. I just mentioned here in Missouri, Governor Parson signed to two bills very triumphantly this week, banning um, gender-affirming care essentially for kids and transgender uh, sports participation for specifically only for transgender women. So why do you suppose so few of the Democratic leaders and pro our fellow pro-democracy advocates, for example, see the danger in these movements, these attacks, as you mentioned, they're attacking our right. voters here. I mean, wh what's your take? I mean, why do they not see the danger? Is it resources? Is it a lack of understanding of what we're facing in these states? Is it, what's, what's your, what's your- Well, sometimes, I, so I go through this in the book. The thing to always remember is, the reason they're attacking democracy, the reason they gerrymander, the reason they're moving that threshold in Ohio or trying to do 60% the men constitution, yeah. they know that they are the ones in the minority on almost every issue. Right. Abortion bans, no exceptions, is something that 10% or fewer of Ohioans agree with. Wow. That's their policy view. So um, never forget that because sometimes this advice, get off the culture war issues and move to something people are really talking about. Actually, they're the ones who support an issue that only 10% of Ohioans agree with. Right. Don't let them off the hook. Run it to ground. Take it to its most logical extreme. Who did that very well? As much as it was a challenging election for him, John Fetterman. Yep. He never stopped talking about the abortion issue in Pennsylvania. Yep. And even in debate where he obviously was challenged as part of his recovery, he won the debate the minute the minute that Mehmet Oz said abortion should come down to a woman, her doctor, and the local elected official. That was it. <laughs> yep. That was the end of the race. Yep. And so sometimes when they are on extreme ground, pivoting in a way, you are you are letting them off the hook. Right. There's a reason yes. Mitch McConnell told Lindsey Graham not to talk about a national abortion ban. Right. There's a reason Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, who spent his career trying to make everything as pro-life as possible scrubbed his entire website yep. of references to that all last fall. They are generally in the minority and they know it. Yep. And their main goal is to distract from that all the time. Other times I'd say you got to reframe it um, in a tougher area in particular. The minute you take the whole battle over gender and make it about book banning and about the freedom we all have as parents to educate our kids and no angry parent down the street is going to tell me what my kids get to check out of the library. You are now with 70% of Americans. Right. So I think being smart about framing is important, but the instinct to just jump back to the issues folks are really talking about. Sometimes they're talking about the very issue that the right is talking about and they're pissed about it. And if you move on, you're actually giving a gift. Um, and, and the other thing I'd say though, is at the same time, Sometimes they play games to bait us. Yeah, and you should always respond. I mean, I, I, one of the one of the messaging gurus that, that I know that was on the Midas show a few years ago is Anat Shankar Osorio. And one of the things that I going back to your point, the idea that you're just going to move away from a topic as if they're not going to keep talking about it, right, is insane. Like when they do one of their dog whistle type racist attacks her point this 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 messaging guru that i really respect is 
if all you do is say, well, we're going to talk about like, you know, something else instead, their attack will sink in. Yep. You're better off confronting it and saying the reason they're trying, they're running this dog whistle is to divide us, to divide us up so they can accomplish, you know, lower wages or something. So you should take it on. And this is happening. I'm afraid with the, um, and I did a whiteboard the other day on this. Every Republican is using the same message about the indictment. The yep. facts are so bad, right? So bad. I mean, showers and toilets and not to get too much. When I was a kid, we had Archie comic books in our toilets. <laughs> He's surrounded by classified Intel. Yeah. Everyone in the bathroom, that's their reading material. That's yeah. like nuts. Um, flying it up to New Jersey, moving boxes around. It's like a bad comedy. They don't want to talk about that. So what do they do? They say, Oh, he's being treated differently than other people. That's a total talking point. Yep. If we don't respond in some way, that talking point will set in. We know it. Yep. So I did a whiteboard the other day, two, two minutes. Now everyone else has to figure out the best way to do this and said, that's the most absurd argument. I will concede that there are two systems of justice. If you can show me any other case where someone was moving boxes around and lying about it, was storing them in a shower in a bathroom and toilets and admittedly publicly said he knew he had declassified them. If you can show me any case where those facts are true and the person was indicted, then I would agree with you. There's a problem here. There's no such case. Everyone who who would do something like this would be indicted. And the reason I did that is because if we don't get into the ether, what the counter argument is, they will dominate the space. So I do think you got to, I do think you got to, um, sometimes reframe it, but if you simply duck and think they're going to stop talking about whatever the topic is, because you're not talking about it, you're going to lose. But the other thing I would say is even when you do that, still, if your message like Gretchen Whitmer's was fix the damn roads or your message like Laura Kelly's was Sam Brownback has destroyed our public schools. So will Chris, what's his name? Kobach. Yep. Don't lose sight of your winning message either. And your winning message, it may be abortion like it was for Fetterman, yep. but it may be that in, in Kansas they destroyed they destroyed public schools. And so don't feel like you gotta stick with it the rest of the way. Right. Because you might have a killer message that's gonna win you the election. And and you know, that takes some discipline. But Gretchen Whitmer never stopped saying fix the damn roads, as much as I'm sure she was also addressing those other attacks. Well, it's so it's a, it's a balancing act and it takes judgment in the heart of a campaign. Uh but but don't pivot automatically because you may be on winning ground already. Yeah. But also if you've got a killer message on public outcomes that are horrifying to people, don't, don't move off that topic either. Well, it's parent attack. I mean, it's parent attack. Exactly. It's, it's just like us. You, you don't just sit on defense. Once you've been attacked, you, 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 you defend and then you counterattack. It's the same, you know, it's the same thing. And, and right. our, our, my frustration is they're like, well, we'll just ignore the attack and just do this attack over here. And I think one of the, I, 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 I probably I'll never have James Carville on the show, but the, the old canard of, oh, it's the economy stupid was one of the dumbest thing. I think that's poisoned so much of our side. <laughs> you know, oh, it's, oh, we've got to go back to the economy. Okay. It was the economy stupid in that race. Okay. <laughs> Things have changed since then. I, I, every time I've actually had people say it to me since then in races I've I've been part of, like, well, you know, it's about the economy, Fred. You know, it's economy stupid. Like, holy shit, dude. Okay, like that that was that race. Every race is different. And by the way, every campaign's different. Every location's different. You know, it may not actually just be the economy right now. It may be yeah. other things. So, and in you know. in twenty two, it was abortion bans. Right. I mean, the, those inform even the sector of state races. And one of the great results of twenty two was that we election deniers lost secretary of state races in every single swing state. Everyone, which was an incredible running the table. Yeah. 
And even there, if you look closely at the ads that were run, Dobbs and abortion bans became a perfect sort of example of what starts to happen when you lose your democracy. Right. And so those extremist candidates also being tied into the Dobbs outcome, which was so horrifying to people, really changed the outcome. So, yeah, I agree. It, it may be the economy sometimes, but but in that case, the people who who ran with the, the, the very tough on abortion ban message. Fetterman, Whitmer did the same thing. They had, they, 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 she never stopped talking about it. They actually did very well. People who pivoted too quickly back to other things actually blew an opportunity to really hold, you know, hold their opponent out as an extremist when it came to an issue that so many people were voting on. By the way, the other thing, and I think you'll agree with this, Messaging these days is as much about firing up your own base yeah. as it, it to, to show up, going back to our show up argument. If you milk toast every message to avoid these topics, you're not giving anyone a reason to show up. There you go. And so they, they hear the <laughs> moderate go. message where you've split everything in the middle that you didn't say abortion was at stake or, or your right, right to choose your own reproductive freedom. And so they think, well, I never heard that. So it wasn't as meaningful to me. And your milk toast message did nothing for me. So, if so much of these elections are coming down to whose base shows up. The Republicans are very good at this with caravans and scare tactics. All we have to do is talk about the truth. Like they want to ban it, you know, as they do in all these States. But if you don't talk about it, cause you think it's too, too polarizing, you literally hurt your own turnout and then you lose. Well, that's it. That's that back to the disengaged voters. And I'll let you go is it is exactly that I've, we've got to fire them up and we, we've got to show teeth. We have to fight. Right. And that's, that's what I hear. I hear, I hear that constantly. Um, you know, and, and our opponents are fighting that way. I, when I was, when I was canvassing for a, a campaign in Georgia uh, against Marjorie Taylor green, I, I remember came up in a lady and I, she, I, she said, well, who are you with? I said her opponent. And she's like, Oh, well, Mark, she, uh, she uh, you know, Marjorie's my girl. I'm like, okay, why? Well, she fights. She's a fighter, <laughs> you know, and yeah. look, I, I hate that message. I do. I hate that message. But people on our side want that, too. Right. I mean, I, I mean, really Democrat, people watch this show. I know it because I, they send me messages. They want to fight. They want to know how to fight. They want to be in right. the fight and they want to know that we're fighting for them. They don't want Correct. bureaucrats. They don't want you. To, you're not running for bureaucracy. You're running for leadership. You're running for changing the direction of our country. And I do think that's a message I say to a lot of my Democratic colleagues is, you got to fight, bro. Show some teeth, show some muscle, get in there. Because right. that's what you're up against. You don't, you don't have to do the same way they do, but you do have to address these issues and right. show them. I also think Fetterman, for all of his challenges, he's a, he's a bit tough as nails fighter. That's his, that's his, right. that's his thing. Whitmer is a fighter. Whitmer, Whitmer had effing death threats against her. What she did, yeah. she showed up. Um, yeah. So Do you know what also happens though when you don't fight? And I have a, I have a whole chapter in this book on messaging. Yeah. If you're taught, if you're saying democracy is under attack, but then you don't look, you don't look like you're fighting. Right. People will think, well, it must not be that bad because you're not fighting for it. Like, yeah. I believe democracy is under attack. Yeah. You do too. That's why you and I get a little animated sometimes. Yeah, exactly. That's why we never stop talking. That's right. why I call my book Saving Democracy and your show is called On Democracy. And in the way we engage, we look like we mean it. Yeah. If you're in a state house somewhere and you're super polite about it and you let people filibuster without having to stand there for days, which is what I would do. You actually are not, you're undermining your own message. And not only do your own supporters think, well, you're not really a fighter, but all the less political people who are trying to figure out is democracy really under attack or isn't it? 
if you don't look, you look like you're really fighting for it, they must think hey, it must not be because those people aren't acting like it's under deck. They're right. acting calm. They're acting like everything's okay. Yep. And so it's a very inconsistent message than what happened when the two, who was fighting for democracy? They woke up the country, the two Justins yep. and Malik McMorrow. Yep. When you saw them, you thought there is a fight. The democracy is under attack and they're acting like it is. And sometimes I worry when we watch our federal officials of the U.S. Senate, the debates feel like, well, you know, except for a few exceptions like um, a, a, a White House out of Rhode Island or a Bishop Warnock, it doesn't look like they really think there's a threat because everything's still a little too civil. We, we, we allow the filibuster to play the role it does without my attitude would be, you know, Grassley or whoever, if you want to filibuster our voting rights bill, you're doing it for days. Yep. And when you go to the bathroom, we're calling the roll because yep. you are attacking democracy. You fought like that. People would think, oh, this, this must be real. They're acting like it's real. So I think it's a very inconsistent message we send not only to our own voters, yeah. but people are just trying to figure out who's right and who's not. Well, it's norms and traditions. It's 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 a constant refrain I use a lot. Is everybody wants norms and traditions. It's it's the bane of um, the the old guard of our own party who have who failed to see the change in reality. Right. So we always just have to have norms and traditions. Like, no, your norms and traditions are trash because the opponent is not honoring them. So you keep pretending they exist and they don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. It is in many ways, we could almost circle back to what happened to Chris Light at, at, at CNN. He, he has this, this this ephemeral view that we just want, everyone wants neutral. No, actually they don't, not anymore because that, that shit's gone. That day is gone. Right. Well, look, we can bemoan that and we can cry and and and, and, and wail and, and gnash our teeth. I just want Norm's traditions. Look, that shit ended the day that Tubby came down the freaking golden escalator, right? You know, when, when, when Trump injected himself into our political system, Norm's traditions went out the window. Now Hour or, and the realization be is you have to fight. What it got? What right. got? What, what got? Uh, um, what's his name? Rumsfeld. Well, you have to go to the war. With the army built. Now what? Guess what? We've been at war for a while. Adjust. It's too late, right. you know, and now, so I get right. very frustrated. Look, this has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate, I know you got a lot going on. You're traveling the country and you got a book to, a book to sell. We'll put, we'll, we'll put the link out to the book. We'll put, the, we'll put the graphic on. I appreciate you. Um, this is freaking fantastic. I love the work we're doing. I'm excited about working with you on, on, on Forgotten Democrats. I'm going to tell our viewers about Forgotten Democrats here in a second, but uh, it's exciting stuff you're doing. I appreciate you being in the fight, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, and if anyone, uh, I'm at David Pepper on Twitter. There you go. I have a newsletter I have now under Substack, but, but my main goal here is to say to people you're on the front line of democracy there is so much you can do about it and the book tries to help guide people on specifically the very specific things they, they can do going forward so i appreciate your help and getting the word out and and i love the work we're doing together as well i appreciate it man again get that get that book and uh keep up the good fight brother thanks so much Cheers. take care Man, what a great conversation. David is genius. If you don't follow him on Twitter, I recommend it highly. Catch his, white, his whiteboard videos and the work he's doing. With Blue Ohio, we'll throw those links up later. I'm excited to let you know what we he was hinting. We were hinting a little bit at what we're doing. I'm, I'm not going to like hide the, hide the football on you. So I am thrilled to be joining a, a new organization, actually a relaunching organization called Forgotten Democrats. I'll be serving as the national chairman for, for Forgotten Democrats. This is the idea of building a community of like-minded Americans who want to see us run and fight everywhere. As I mentioned in the, in the show, 149 Republicans ran for Congress, essentially unopposed last cycle. You, we, you may remember we had Dr. Chris Jones who ran against Sarah Huckabee in Arkansas 
a few months ago. Chris told us during our show that all four congressional seats in Arkansas were essentially unopposed. Two with no opponent. Two, the opponent never even raised $200,000, the basic amount of money you need to run a decent congressional campaign. That is unacceptable. An entire state didn't have a choice in their congressional races. The Forgotten Democrats campaign is meant to help that. It's a fascinating model run by my friends at It Starts Today, uh, Every State Blue. The idea that we will bottom up fund candidates. You join a monthly subscription, you become a part of our community. We'll have Zooms, we'll have opportunities for you. You'll hear from people like David Maverick. He's going to be joining me on that Zoom on June 29th, uh, where he can tell you a little about what, literally what you can do locally to make a difference. And then people can help each other. And then candidates, 75% of the money that we raise will go to actual candidates. I'm talking about directly to candidates through a remarkable FEC filing that allows us to break up your payment among multiple candidates, not just the, the top guys. In other words, candidates who really actually need a little bit of money and do a lot with it will get that funding. Another 25% will go towards helping them win, mentoring, shared services, helping them be a more efficient, effective, and, and a coordinated campaign. So I'm very excited to be launching Forgotten Democrats here in a couple of weeks. There's a really easy way to find out more information. If you want to do it, I'd love you to do it. It's so simple. You simply text FRED to 33777. Go on your phone. Dial up 33777, text the word FRED. It'll walk you through how to sign up for our email list. You'll get announcements about what's coming. I'm not going to bug you for money. We're not like that. We're going to tell stories. I love this partnership. I love the organization. I love to work with my friend David Pepper, my friend Jess Piper here in Missouri, and, and the folks at, uh, at, at Every State Blue. I, I think you're going to love it. So again, that's text FRED to 33777. You can learn about our upcoming launch and the work we're going to be doing. I just, I would just, I'd love to have you guys join. People ask me all the time, what can we do, Fred? And I really like the organization Forgotten Democrats because we're going to do something for a change. You say it's a great show. You can, as always, you can join our growing Substack community. It's fpwellman.substack.com. I got some cool stuff we're doing for subscribers now. We had our first private Zoom. Just a few people joined. We had a great time talking, talking stories, telling stories about my background and the topics of the day. While we were on our Zoom the other day for the Substack community is when the indictment came down right in the middle of it. One of my, uh, one of my friends and followers told me about it just as we were on TV uh, on the Zoom. You can always find me at FP Wellman. You can find me on uh, on uh, Instagram at FP Wellman Official. All the show feeds are on Democracy Pod. We have great, great, great sponsors. Again, we're on the Myas Touch Network. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, everywhere you go. I mention it a lot now, but I'd love you to do a review or a you know just a like, a share with your friends and family, so we have more people watch the show. Uh, it matters to me, and it matters to the algorithm that you like our show, and we'll spend it. Spend some time with us and share it with your friends. In the meantime, the fight for our democracy continues. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you being part of our community. I look forward to hearing from you. Let's see you again next week here on Odd Democracy with F.P. Wellman.